No, let's see. Uh, David's background. Who's his father? Who are his great grandparents? Everybody know these? Tricky questions. All right. Tell. Okay. Just tell me a little bit about David. What do you? Okay. What do you got? Ruth and Boaz are his great grandparents. Yeah. Very good. Gold star for you. Uh, and I think we're going to look at Ruth later. Later, later this summer, I think we're going to look at Ruth, too, so we get into that. Uh, tell me a little bit, about what's, what does David do? What's his background? Uh, siblings? How many siblings does he have? Seven. He is the seventh. He's, yeah, six, yeah. What does he do for a living? He's a shepherd. Right, absolutely. Okay, what does shepherding entail at this time period? Boredom? <laughs> is it boredom? Yeah, absolutely. Being out alone, killing bears and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Uh, okay. Uh, so who is king before David or who's king during his, his early life? Saul. What tribe is Saul from? What? Man, you're crushing it today. Well done. Benjamin, yeah. What tribe is David from? Not Benjamin. Judah, all right, so if you can put on your thinking caps, when we were not in Revelation, we were in Genesis, and we were going, when Matthew was preaching through the end of Genesis, and uh, he's preaching through the, the last words of Israel to his sons, uh, what does he say about Judah? What? Yeah, the throne will not depart from your line. So is it, a, is it already a problem? Should we already know by looking at Saul that it's a problem that he's not from Judah? Yeah, we should already know that's a problem. And it's interesting that we should come to David and go, oh, there's, he's from the tribe of Judah. That's, we should pay attention to that. Um, okay, last question just for some context. Uh, who is Israel fighting when we get to the story of Goliath? The Philistines, right. Okay. So the story of Goliath, of uh, David and Goliath, happens in 1 Samuel 17. What happens in chapter 16? You can turn and look. Maybe a chapter heading will give it to you. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So they go through all six brothers, and Samuel's like, surely this one, and it's not that one, and then the next one, and it's surely gone. So we get finally down to the seventh brother. That's absolutely what happens in 16. So in 17, we get kind of a shift, and we're told that they're fighting the Philistines, and there's this giant, this warrior. Uh, this, the text calls him a man of war since his youth. Uh, so that's kind of the context, right? So if someone will read verses 32 through 37 for me. Someone read that out loud. You can read it off here. You're going to read it out of your own Bible. Verses 32 to 37.
32 to 37, yep. Thank you. So what do we learn about David from this? Uh, what sort of a young man is he? Uh, what sort of a shepherd and warrior is he, or does he at least claim to be? Fearless. Fearless. Yeah? What else? He's brave, absolutely. Yeah, I think if a lion came up to me, I would, I'm out. No, I'm just what else? Yeah, absolutely. He's agile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, and that's kind of the second question. Where does his strength come from, right? His, yeah, from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's not, not mentioned specifically, but absolutely, absolutely. All right. So in your knowledge of David's life up to this point, what's his relationship with God like? What's it based on? Hint, it's kind of what Steve talked about in 16. <laughs> so David is called. He's, he's chosen as this youngest brother. He, he doesn't even come in with his other six brothers to be examined by Samuel. He's the youngest. He's left out in a field to keep being the shepherd, keep watching over the flocks, while his brothers are like, oh, we're going to go see if I'm going to be king today. Uh, and so he's already got this, this intense, um, special relationship with God because God looks at the other six and says, no, there's one more. And so he's, he's been chosen. He's been called. And so he's already been shown this special favor by God. Right? And then he's anointed in this kind of, this really kind of a beautiful ceremony by uh, Samuel. He's anointed. So he has already been told he's going to be king. He is deeply, deeply loved by God. And, and he's just, he, from the get-go, we see this very special relationship. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> I think that unlike some other families with <laughs> brothers. Absolutely. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Uh, David's uh, heir, 
the Lord is with him. Key. All right. So he's got a pretty good relationship with God, right? It's very, um, very special, to say the least. Uh, so someone now will read verses 41 to 47. Please, same ch- uh, 1 Samuel 17, 41 to 47. We'll read it off here, or whatever. So this exchange here, kind of this verbal uh, back and forth between Goliath and David, I think is is really interesting. Um, so what's but out of out of this conversation they have, uh, what's his concern? What's his chief concern in fighting Goliath? God's honor. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not it's not the victory necessarily, but it's that God's name. What does it say? Um, in verse uh, 40, 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's his chief concern. He's, he shows up, you guys know the story, he shows up uh, to bring some food to his brothers. His, Jesse wants him to go check on his brothers who are fighting. Uh, and he hears Goliath kind of taunting them. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who does this? And he says, I'll go and fight. So eventually Saul lets him go and fight. Uh, and his whole concern is that God's name would be honored, that he'd be glorified. So again, this is sort of the same question, but why does, why does David have this confidence? Because just a chapter before, he's been told he's going to be king. And if he goes out and he dies in this battle, well, he's not going to be king, right? So he trusts God. He trusts his uh, promises. So kind of just as a question for us now, why should we have confidence in God and our relationship with him? Yeah. Yeah, we've seen God be with us through hard times. We've seen him be with us through good times. Um, what else? That's absolutely right. What else? His promise. What do you mean? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his promise that he works all things together for good. I think that is, is that Romans 8? I think that's Romans 8. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
So I think even just in this little exchange between Goliath and David, we have a lot that we can learn about his relationship, and we have a lot that we can apply to our own relationship with God and how we can have confidence um, coming to him. So, of course, we all know what happens. Uh, David defeats Goliath, and he cuts off his head. But what happens uh, in, in between the time when we get to Bathsheba? So Bathsheba, that story happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you want to turn to 2 Samuel 11 and someone get read, ready to read the whole chapter, you want to read that whole chapter, so get ready for that. Um, fill in the blanks. What, what happens between those? We'll start here and we'll come here. Yeah. He has his Robin Hood period. What do you, can you give us a little more about that? Good enough, okay. Good enough, all right, yeah. Saul dies, yep, yep. And then what happens? David becomes king, absolutely. Are things all peachy, keen, and easy for David in this time? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so David gets kind of the pattern that we've seen throughout the scripture when God has a man that he's chosen, uh, he makes this, this covenant with him, right? So that the relationship kind of gets deepened. Yeah. He, also has several wives. he does have several wives. He does have several wives, and this is the Bathsheba incident is going to be a, a way he gets another one. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I don't know. Sure. Uh, I don't know. It's a great question. I've never thought about that before. Um, maybe it's like, I don't know if you know that, like Swedish and Finnish, they're different languages, but they're kind of mutually intelligible. I wonder if it's something like that. They, David's speaking Hebrew and the Philistine is speak, speaking Philistian. And, but they're, I don't know. That's a guess. I have no idea. Um, all right, so lots of things happen. Uh, David comes to be uh, king, and he's brought the ark back. He's made a covenant with God. Uh, and then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if someone, will someone read that for me? The whole chapter. Or if you want to read part of it and pass it on to someone else, that would be great too. You're thinking about it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. I'm sorry. Sorry that's so long. All right, so going, going back to the beginning of the chapter, when it opens, where's the army and where's David? Why is that a problem? Right, so the, the army's out, they're besieging Rabbah, uh, and David is still in Jerusalem, right? What does the first verse of this say? In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. From the very first verse, I think the, the author here is saying, David shouldn't be in Jerusalem, period. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's a parallel we need to draw for sure is David is not uh not doing what he's supposed to do. Don't know why he remains. Uh and then he walks up on the roof, but where's Bathsheba? Probably not. People don't bathe on roofs. I don't I don't really think they bathe on the rooftop, maybe. Possibly a courtyard. Maybe he's just looking through a window, too. He just happens to have a view of the house. That's possible. We don't really know. We don't, we don't, they don't have glass, but they would have had an opening for wind and air and things like that to get in the house, right? So I, I, most, in, most people think that in the ancient Near East, people didn't bathe on your roof. So if that's the case then what David's doing, what he's looking at, is all the more kind of disgusting, isn't it? Because it's not like she's on social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, it's an I've not heard that before. I'd, interesting. Um, hmm. I don't know that. Uh, so well, let's, let's talk about this then. Who's Bathsheba's husband? It says one of David's mighty men, yeah? In, in, yeah, in this chapter, yeah, more, acting much more righteous than David is. Uh, what's, what's significant about him other than he's acting more righteous? Or what is, what's more significant about the fact that he's acting more righteous than David is. He's not an Israelite. He's a Gentile. He's a Hittite. That's a big deal, right? Uh, and so, yes, how does he act throughout the whole chapter? He is far more righteous. He acts far more righteous. He even gets drunk and won't go to his house. He just stays outside the whole night. Uh, so what all does David do? Let's just kind of count everything that David does wrong in this chapter, so we can build a good list, a good case against him here. What does he do? Yeah, he abdicates his responsibility as a king to go be with the army. Covets another man's wife, absolutely. Yeah. Are you raising your hand? Yeah, he plans a murder. Uh, yeah, like pretty in depth too, right? <laughs> it's not like 
It's not like, oh, Joab, go have him killed. He sends a letter by Uriah's own hand saying, put him at the front, have everyone pull back, he'll die, right? So he plans a murder. What else? Anything else? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's something that's often overlooked. There were a lot of others that got killed because of the way that Joab, the, Joab's like the general, the commander, the way that Joab has to do this. Other people die from this as well. So it's not just Uriah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, sin does that, doesn't it? We get caught up in our own sin and we get callous to everything else. We're trying to, to hide our own sin and so we get, we get blinded to everything else that's around us and all the other sins that we're committing because we're so focused on, on covering our own one particular sin up, doesn't it? Yeah. And he was already married a couple of times by this point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and it, to your point, it starts, uh, starts interestingly, um, 
saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, which is interesting because Uriah is one of his mighty men. He's a close friend of David's. He probably knows Bathsheba already by this point. He may not recognize her from the distance. Um, and so someone says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This individual who answers David identifies her going, you, you know who she is, almost kind of seeming to me to imply, but what are you doing? <laughs> Back off. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. It starts just with a, with a question, and there's even a warning in the answer. And David sends messengers and took her, right? Starts innocently, and we get caught up in it. All right, are we sufficiently downtrodden and feeling the weight of our sin uh, now? Um, so the next thing I want to look at uh, is a couple of verses from chapter 12 when you already kind of alluded to it, that Nathan comes to him and tells the story of a man who has a large flock, another man who has only one lamb, and he wants to throw a feast, so he takes the, the one lamb from, from the man. But these are, uh, this is the judgment that God delivers through, through Nathan the prophet. Um, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives. Key, isn't it? I gave you your master's wives. Into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This is pretty, uh, pretty heavy indictment, isn't it? Uh, God takes his sin very, very, very seriously. Um, I think you can maybe even think God was thinking of doing to David, what he did to Saul, because Saul died, right? But at the end it says, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. But he's not free from the temporal consequences of his sin, is he? Uh, and what happens with his kids, right? Somebody, anybody know? He's got, sure. Yeah. Yeah, multiple wives, multiple kids, and there's divisions. Uh, uh, Absalom tries to start a coup uh, against David. Um, that's his own son, right? So that's uh, um, his family doesn't go so well after this, uh, to say the least. Um, 
I'm going to turn to look. Uh, we kind of already talked about that. I forgot I had those questions written out. So we're gonna, um, but the second one, what does David do at the end of that section? What does he say? Verse 12. Yeah, he, rec he recognizes that he sins. It was. But when you have a close relationship with the Lord, where does your confidence come from? <laughs> right? I think Nathan has that same kind of relationship that, or similar relationship that David does with, with God. So, yeah, so David recognizes his own sin. Um, later on in chapter 12, he will fast. He'll clothe himself in sackcloth. He'll cover in ash, uh, pleading for the life of this child. Um, and so I think David repents here in a way. Uh, it's, it's quick. It seems like a quick turnaround, but uh, I think oftentimes when we're confronted and truly feel the depth and the burden of our own sin, uh, that's what it has to do. It has to lead us to repentance, right? So David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then he, and then he goes through, I think, a process of, of repentance and fasting and, and pleading for the life of his child. All right. All right, so that, that incident kind of, kind of ends, and then what happens for the rest of David's life? What happens? Yeah, it's, it's public. Uh, you know, God says, I will expose this. What, what you did in private, I'll do in public. You know. Psalm 51 is written. Uh, remind me what Psalm 51 is. Oh, yeah, that is, Psalm 51 is written. It does. Yeah, verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Uh, there's the incident. Go ahead. Yeah, he does a census. He shouldn't have done that, right? So there's a. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think 11 and 12 are good here. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Yeah. That's real repentance. That is real repentance.
Which is interesting when we come to the last uh, couple of things I want to look at, which is Second Samuel 22 and a little bit of 23. Um, I'll read this. Um, so 22 is, is a song of deliverance kind of coming towards the end of his life. He's looking back over things that have happened um, and recounting that. And then 23 is, are kind of his last words uh, here. So beginning in verse 17, he sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight." With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. How can David write all this? <laughs> Given what we've just talked about, how does David write all this? Absolutely. By grace alone. <laughs> Other thoughts, Rob? Yep. Mm. 
It does sound a little unself-aware. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good point. Is that we we look we look at David trying to see a glimpse of Jesus, right? And so yes, Jesus is the one. Uh, uh, where is it? Jesus is the one who can say, "He sent me from on high. He took me. Uh, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy." from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Maybe not that, but, uh, but yeah, we look to David to see, to see Jesus all the more. David's called a man after God's own heart, right? We've heard that before. Uh, what, is, what does that look like, to follow after God's heart? What, is that, what do you think that means? Have the same concerns, yeah? Which are... What are some of those concerns? God's, God's glory. How is, how is God's glory expressed in some more specific ways? Defeating Goliath, yep. Yeah. Making him known throughout the earth, absolutely. Having a righteous king, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he becomes utterly dependent. Or gets back to being utterly dependent, maybe. He becomes again. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, You're just a boy. Yeah. 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 
does take place. Absolutely. Absolutely. This theme of repentance we've seen before, too, with, with Judah, right? Judah's not the oldest brother, is he? He's the fourth, right? But Reuben and Simeon and Levi committed these heinous acts. So did Judah, but what does Judah do? Judah repents, right? So we see this theme of repentance throughout this. So, hint, hint, what about our relationship with God? Um, what do we do when we sin? Oftentimes, yeah. By God's grace, we learn not to, and we repent. Yeah. Yeah. How do we how do we know how to listen to God? How do we know what he's calling us to? I think I think first we got to know what he says, right? And the Bible is what he says, right? And so David uh let me go back to it. Uh 
For all his rules, verse 23, for all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. David knows the law, right? I think that's, I think that's step one. We've got to know what God says. Um, know what God says, and, and we become more familiar with, with what he says. It's a lot easier to listen to him when we're praying. Is for yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's repenting of his own sin. He's forgiving of others' sin against him, but he still seeks justice too, which is interesting. He's forgiving, but he still seeks justice. How long, O oh Lord? get him yeah yeah uh, David is still still human <laughs> yeah 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 he is no one no one's that simple right no one's that oh he's a sinner then he repents it's all it's all yeah sure Absolutely. And I think this is in chapter 23, which is, if you have an ESV, it says that's his last words too. But he, he says in verse 5 of 23, For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to, proper, to prosper all my help and my desire? So we see this, David having trust in God, having trust in the promises of God too put all things right, prosper all things. So, that's right. Any last thoughts, questions, things we want to talk about? Yeah. That makes for a messy family. <laughs> yeah, makes for a messy family. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. 
I think it's I think it's a testament to all of that that both Bathsheba and Uriah are mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew. David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So there again, we see this uh, God using this evil circumstance, and that's where Jesus' lineage comes from. So somehow he makes all things prosper and works all things together for good. So, all right, well, let me pray, and uh, we'll be done. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this time this morning, uh, and we thank you for giving us uh, a very relatable king of Israel, that we can look at him and see how he trusted you and see how he loved you and knew your word and knew your commandments, Father. And we also get to see the, the, ugly, uh, the ugly side of sin and how sin um, wrecked a part of his life because he wasn't vigilant. Father, so help us to learn from the life of David um, and help us to glorify you all the more and be thankful to you all the more for uh, providing us with these messages, these lessons that we can learn from, um, from David, Father. So we thank you for sending Jesus as the true David, the true king who will rule eternally and who um, had no need to repent, but who forgives us eternally and seeks justice. Father, we thank you for uh, this picture of David and how it leads, leads us closer to you. So as we go from here this morning and prepare for uh, our corporate worship service, uh, just prepare our hearts for that. Um, be with Matthew as he uh, brings us the word this morning. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.